Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. In this episode, Consumer Voice Executive Director Lori Smetanka talks with Dr. Laura Mesqueda, a professor of family medicine and geriatrics, about how neglect and the abuse of older adults is a long-standing problem that is underreported and has not received the necessary attention and response from policymakers. Yet, it results in needless and preventable suffering and harm. To view the materials mentioned in this episode, visit theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality. Hello, I'm Lori Smetanka, and welcome to today's episode of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. So the pandemic has renewed concerns about the quality of care that residents receive in some nursing homes. Many family members have reported to Consumer Voice significant decline in the condition of their loved ones, including things like severe weight loss, incontinence, dehydration, loss of abilities, and being dirty and unkempt, among many other things. And they're trying to make sense of what they've been seeing as they're being reunited with their loved ones over the past year what's happened during the pandemic, and what are some things they can do when they're concerned about the quality of care that their loved ones have been receiving. Neglect and abuse of older adults is a long-standing problem, and it's one that's underreported, has not received the necessary attention and response or resources from policymakers, and certainly that's a factor in what we're talking about. Yet the neglect and abuse results in needless and preventable suffering and harm. So today we're going to talk about neglect, um, which is the failure to provide goods and services to an individual that are necessary to avoid physical harm, pain, mental anguish, or emotional distress. And neglect may or may not be intentional. And to help us through the discussion and joining us today is Dr. Laura Mosqueda, who is a professor of family medicine and geriatrics at Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. She is a clinician, researcher, educator, and widely respected authority on elder abuse and care of the elderly and underserved. Dr. Mosqueda has held several roles at the Keck School of Medicine, including as dean, and she is the director of the National Center on Elder Abuse, which is the Consumer Voice is a partner with. She is also a volunteer long-term care ombudsman, and I don't know how you do all the things that you do, Dr. Mosqueda, but thank you so much for being here with us today, and I'm so glad to have you here. It's a pleasure. I do all the things I do because I have great people that I work with. (laughs) Well, certainly you've got a great team, but uh, you've certainly been one of the people that I look up to and um, am so glad that we're able to have this conversation today and have had the opportunity to be be working together in the past. So I wanted to start when we talk um, about neglect. I I was listening to um, another presentation that you did recently. And and I wanted to start here because I think it's a good approach when we talk to family members. And it's an approach that you talked about using as a doctor and as an ombudsman when you go into a facility that you observe, ask, and listen when you go in and are looking. And, And that's something that's really important that I think family members need to understand and be aware of. So talk a little bit about that approach that you use when you're going into a long-term care facility. Yeah, so the first thing I do when I walk in is I get a I get a feel for what the place is like. It's everything from sights and sounds and smells. Um, and um, it's kind of interesting. I think you can get sort of the emotional vibe of a place as well. 
Um, do people look angry and harried or do you see people stopping and interacting with residents and with each other? Um, are people treating each other with respect and kindness? Um, and, and so I think those observations are, are really important when we walk in. Um, also, what is the physical environment like? Does it look safe? Are you, you know, as a volunteer ombudsman, I'm also looking for hazards and whether things are posted the way they're supposed to be. Um, and, sure. uh, um, and I'm also curious, like, hey, what time of day is it? Are people supposed to be in that, uh, in the, in, in their rooms right now? Why is everybody in their room? Uh, or what's going on in terms of activities? So those are some of the observational sorts of things. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I've started telling people when they say, um, I'm looking for a long-term care facility for my loved one or for myself, and what's something I should think about. And I say, use your senses when you go in, use all of your senses um, to get a good perspective of what's happening in that place. Exactly right. And, you know, and I think for family members, we know our loved ones best. And, and um, I know I've been in some places where it just seems kind of chaotic, but it's a great place for some older adults who, who love that kind of busy kinds of stuff going on. And for other people, that's not a good environment. So, you know, making sure that it, it's not so much that one thing is right or wrong, but what's a good fit um, for the older adult who might be living there? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, as we know, um, during the beginning part of the pandemic, a lot of people were not able to be in with their loved ones, you know, because of the lockdowns. Um, and when people were starting to be able to go back in, it's about a year ago now, um, we started asking family members who saw their loved ones for the first time in six or eight months, tell us what you're seeing when you go back in. What, what are you observing and seeing from your loved one? And um, they were seeing a lot of weight loss. They were seeing a lot of um, decline in their loved ones, both physical and mental capacity. Um, they were seeing people that were really dirty and unkempt, long fingernails and matted hair and brown teeth because they hadn't been brushed. And, and so it, you know, it really got us to thinking that we needed to be talking a little bit about neglect um, and, and what people should be observing. And so you know, those are some of the signs, obviously, that the family members saw, but, but what are some signs that you look at when you go in and say, things aren't quite what they should be? Like, what are some red flags for you when you go in? Yeah, um, related to neglect, and just getting back also to the sort of the observe and ask and listen piece of things, right? All of those things are going to come into play as well. Like what questions do we ask? Maybe we'll probably talk about that. And, and really important part of this is the listen. What are you listening for from people? Mm -hmm. And it's much as it's as much as what people are saying and also what aren't they saying um, that uh, kinds of things that you want to hear about in terms of satisfaction with, with, with the care that they're getting. And when I try to be really plain spoken about neglect, you know, we can go technical and talk about goods and services aren't being provided. For me, it's just when somebody is suffering, and that could be physical or emotional suffering, because they're not getting what they're supposed to be getting. Yeah. That's neglect. Yeah. You know, it's it's when people aren't getting provided with the things they're supposed to get. And and that is the kind of thing that can lead to weight loss. Yes, a place can say, well, we left them their tray. Yeah. But if they can't open it, right. And they can't feed themselves it's essentially like not feeding them. Right. 
Um, and so, you know, kind of looking and listening for those sorts of things as well and asking those sorts of questions is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking for anything, the really more blatant sorts of things like pressure sores. Now, I want to be careful because not for one minute do I think every pressure sore is a sign of neglect. I sure. think pressure sores can happen despite adequate care, but they can also happen related to neglect. Mm -hmm. And it's often a conglomeration of things, right? So somebody who's malnourished, um, who isn't getting turned, staffing ratios aren't good enough, appropriate equipment isn't provided, all of those things together can combine to um, really create the conditions in which a pressure sore manifests. Um, And so oftentimes it isn't a matter of just fixing one thing, but the kinds of things I look for are pressure sores, weight loss, like you said, and again, is every time somebody loses weight, is that a sign of neglect? No, no, right? right? We have some, some residents in nursing homes who are kind of at a point in their lives where they are losing weight, but what am I going to look for? Well, are, are, do people, are people aware of it? <laughs> is the person comfortable? Are we like in an end of life situation where there's been conversations about advanced directives, comfort care, weight loss is expected? Um, what worries me is when somebody's losing weight and nobody seems to be aware of it. Like, yeah. oh yeah, they've documented weekly weights, but nobody has said, holy moly, this person has lost 10% of their body weight in the past right. two months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm looking not only for a particular thing like somebody who might be dirty or have elongated nails, but the context in which that's occurring. Sure. Does that kind of get Am, am I answering that well enough? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it raises for people that they may be seeing something, but may not have all the facts um, to inform what it is that they're seeing. So that gets to the point where they should start asking questions about exactly what's happening here. Um, so if they are concerned about their loved one who has been losing weight or, or does seem to not be cared for in a proper way, Um, instead of just jumping to conclusions, and you should really start asking some questions. And so let's maybe talk about what are some of the questions that people can start asking. Um, Yeah, and, and, and as we're looking at the context of things, you know, on sometimes uh, nursing home staff feel like they're caught between a rock and a hard place, you know, because, well, this family expects their mother to get bathed every day. But mom has Alzheimer's disease and hates getting bathed every day. So my choices are either to to do what the family wants or to have a resident who is really combative and angry. And so we have to, again, understand, like, are our, our, our expectations reasonable and fair? And what is the other perspective of it? But I do think people need to be careful of, you know, we can be very sympathetic to things like not enough staff. But frankly, as an advocate, that's your problem to fix. um, This person deserves care and whatever the reasons are, those need to get fixed. And so I wouldn't allow places to use that um, as an excuse. Yeah, Um, and I think that that is so important also for people to hear. I was um, in a meeting, uh, it's about two years ago now, where we were talking about actually just that very thing where residents had told us that they hadn't 
they literally hadn't been taken or bathed um, for four months. And um, staffing obviously was an issue in this facility. And somebody said back to me, well, what do you expect them to do if there aren't enough people? I said, well, I expect them to figure out how to get the person bathed and help them shower um, because there are a lot of factors, you know, I mean, for their own personal self-worth, but the, the, the care issues and the physical manifestations of that just are overwhelming. Absolutely. And I mean, if you're going to bring somebody in, it's a covenant, it's a promise you're making that you're going to care for this person. Right. And you're accepting probably a lot of governmental dollars to do it. So I expect you to do what you said you're going to do. Right. Which Absolutely. Is provide a reasonable standard of care for this individual. And I'm sorry, it's hard to do, but that's part of the deal. Well, and one of the ways that families certainly, I think, can talk um, to the staff about concerns or issues that they're having is, is not only to raise them with the direct staff, um, you know, ask questions. Did my mother eat today? And who helped her if, if they know that they, she needs assistance eating or, you know, the water issue. My grandmother um, was this little tiny woman who lived in a nursing home and uh, she was fairly weak at the end of her life. And they would bring in a big pitcher of water and set it down on the table. And a couple times a day, they'd refresh that water, but she couldn't lift the pitcher to pour herself a glass. Um, And so essentially it wasn't available for her. So, you know, asking questions about who's helping her. Are you making sure that she's getting, she's actually drinking the water that comes in. So certainly we start by talking to staff. Yeah. Um, Talking to staff and listening to staff. Like, what are your concerns? How's it going with my mother or with, you know, depending on what your role is there, like, what's your experience with this person? Um, Here's what I'm noticing. And then listening to see if you're getting reasonable answers. Uh Um, And, you know, really listen with a critical ear of does what they're saying make sense to you? Do they seem to have an awareness that there might be a problem? Or is it totally off their radar? And then the other thing I think you have to be really careful about is, that it's not just sort of the where's Waldo, you know, it's like this person, well, this is really this person's venue or, you know, uh, responsibility or that person where you get all the finger pointing. That's when I start to escalate it um, Mm -hmm. above the staff um, to director of nursing or the administrator, um, you know, if you're staying internal. Um, There, I, the other thing I really recommend is talking about the care planning. So what's happened with care planning? Have you as a family member been involved? Um, As an ombudsman, like what does the documentation look look like? I know I've gone into facilities as a volunteer ombudsman and their care plan is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, it's just somebody filling off a bunch of check boxes. They clearly haven't had a person-centered approach where they understand that this is a human being who might be experiencing dementia and malnutrition, whatever, And that you're really coming up with a care plan that is specific to that individual and their goals and their values and having an understanding of that. So Mm -hmm. I really like for uh, families and ombudsmen to to look at the at the care plan. It it gives a kind of a window into is it sort of a cookie cutter kind of approach or does it look like they've individualized things? Absolutely. One of the important pieces of care planning, I think that gets lost sometimes is not only is it supposed to talk about what's supposed to happen for that individual or what the plan is to help them achieve their highest levels of well-being, but who's responsible 
for ensuring that that happens. And that's something too that families and ombudsmen should be asking about. Okay, here in this care plan, you said that my mother is going to be go for a walk once or twice a day or to be taken to activities or do certain things. And so who is responsible for making sure that that happens and how are you following up on that? Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that accountability piece is critical. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I don't want to hear that you don't have time or whatever. That's your job. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it really has to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a very important piece. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in in nursing homes also should have um, family councils um, and resident councils. Um, and I think that's a really another, another good resource for people to go to. So, you know, you've, you've talked to the staff, you may have talked to the di- director of nursing, administrator, et cetera. You've looked at care planning kinds of things and maybe a charge nurse, um, but then family councils are good uh, and resident councils. And because sometimes people will go, oh, there's four other people having the exact same problem. Right. Um, right. And so um, that's a good way to kind of connect the dots. I don't know. What yeah, you- absolutely. So, you know, family members will often go in and, and they'll get a sense that something's just not quite right, you know, going on with their loved one. And it might not be something that they can physically see, you know, isn't quite right. Um, but yet they're seeing changes in condition or th- is, are there some specific um, signs of, neglect or, or care issues that, you know, that they should particularly be paying attention to? Yeah. So I'm looking at, at physical signs and I'm also looking at behavioral indicators. Um, um, I mean, first of all, you always ask, ask the person and to the extent that they're, you know, able to lots of older adults who, who live in, in, uh, in nursing homes or other licensed facilities are able to tell you what's going on. So the first thing is, Give them just the dignity and respect of asking them the question. How are things going for you? Do you feel like you need help with things? Are your needs getting met? Um, I still remember as a volunteer ombudsman, one guy who was so like just down in the dumps. And I said, what's going on? And he, he said, I really just want to get shaved. I'm not used to having stubble. And it was like so important to his quality of life. Mm-hmm. And all it took was a question and, and he was able to really verbalize it well, despite the fact that he had some dementia. So, so number one, asking, are you getting your needs met or, or how are things going? I think is really good. Then observing for things like um, hygiene. And again, it's not just with your eyes, but also with your nose. Um, and, um, and the observations of what we talked about before is food just getting left with the expectation that somebody should be able to, you know, unwrap it, unwrap it on their own. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that sort of cleanliness, if you can absorb, uh, observe any wounds, um, bruises, uh, pressure sores, you might not always be able to see it, you may be able to smell a pressure sore, um, depending on the extent is, a, do you think that the diapers are dirty? Um, again, depending on who you are, you might be able to check or you might not, um, depending on your own limitations, mm-hmm. people lying for extended periods of time in dirty diapers, um, is I think a, a significant issue, um, weight loss, we already talked about, and then behavioral indicators. So does the person seem agitated, withdrawn, uh, uh, feeling isolated? Um, do they seem really sad? So. Um, I have kind of this golden rule, which is any sudden change in behavior 
is a medical problem until proven otherwise. So it could be, you know, it could be anything from a urinary tract infection to the person's being isolated. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes this happens as a form of punishment, which is, oh, you've went the bed too many times. We're not getting you out to go to go to um, arts and crafts today. I mean, so sometimes it's used in that way. It's really sad, but that is the reality. So I think um, if, if we are seeing somebody who now is like usually out there and, and, and likes to talk and has become very quiet, withdrawn, that also could be a sign of neglect or abuse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that is another thing that people can't see are um, medication issues that can Mm -hmm. affect some of the changes that we're talking about. Um, As you may know, we're working on a campaign to educate people about the misuse of antipsychotic drugs and people with dementia. And and that often can um, cause changes in behavior or in Um, in their condition as well, because of the effects that it has on people. So medication can be an issue that they should be asking about. A hundred percent. Now I might go a little rogue on you here, Lori. So, so (laughs) forgive me, which is, I am not, I I certainly think antipsychotic medications need to be used with extreme caution. I also though think there are times when they really help improve somebody's quality of life. Uh Um, you know, because now this is not as a volunteer ombudsman, but just as a, as a geriatrician, there are some people who are so, um, um, who, who are just suffering with, with hallucinations or delusions, um, and are impacting others where you've tried all the non-pharmacologic, you know, you've tried all the environmental stuff. You really have given it your all and the person is still suffering or causing others to suffer, I think there are times when, when we have to resort to it. It's a minority of the time, but I do uh-huh. think I'm not one of the people who think that never, it's never okay to use an antipsychotic, I think. Uh-huh. But I'll tell you, when I do, I'm having a conversation with a, with a patient if possible or with the family to say, here are the pros and cons. You know, uh-huh. nobody knows your mom better than you do. Uh how, you know, what is, what is your sense of her emotional state right now? And, and having those sorts of conversations. Uh Um, But, uh, you know, medications can be used um, as a form of abuse and neglect, either by over medicating people, sure, like snowing them, you know, with antipsychotic, or under medicating, right, or even using it as a threat, I'm not going to bring you your pain pill, Uh you've been just a pain in the butt, and I'm, you know, and this is now what you get for it. Yep. Unfortunately, those sorts of threats happen as well. Right. Absolutely. And so it certainly, um, I think, leads people again to be asking questions about what's happening, including what's been prescribed and why has it been prescribed for that person and making sure that they're having those conversations. And ideally, it would be before any prescribing is done. Um, That's really what should be happening. But certainly there's um, a need for people to ask questions about it. Yes. And asking questions of the healthcare providers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I think otherwise, a lot of people never even meet the physician who's treating their loved one, right? They're in and out. You've got no clue when they're coming. You know, you're supposed to be grateful that they showed up. Well, that's not good enough. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. There needs to be some communication again to help humanize your loved one who people didn't know until they met them in whatever state they're in. But, you know, right. just reminding each other of the humanity 
um, of the people who, who live, you know, it's a nursing home. Those people right. live there. So mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that we're walking into somebody else's home when we enter. Yep, absolutely. Another area um, that, you know, I'd appreciate you commenting on is so if a person, you know, goes into a facility and they've lost some of their abilities, um, you know, they've lost the, they were walking when they went in or they were continent when they went in or, um, or they had certain abilities that they were able to perform, um, but they've lost them, you know, while they're there. Um, Would you consider that to be a red flag in some cases? Yeah, at least a pink flag. I'll give you pink and sometimes red, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it shouldn't be just some sort of sudden change or or even a gradual change. Like what's going on? You know, uh, a few months ago, mom was able to ambulate, was able to, to walk around using a walker and now she can't. Why is that? So I think it just, again, requires some communication. Was this expected? Um, have they gotten physical therapy? How does this impact their quality of life? If it's due to pain, like, are we providing adequate pain control? So I think that's a, you're making a really good point, which is when you see a decline in function, don't assume, well, they're old. So that's just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, what can we do to uh, prevent further decline and regain the function that has been lost? Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as some of the factors that have um, led to neglect in your experience? Well, well, there's a variety of things, right? So there's definitely inadequacies of, you know, so, so I would say one big factor would be kind of basic things that we're lacking. Um, Inadequate staffing ratios of the right kind of staff, you know, meaning not just nursing assistants, but RNs as well and and LVNs, Um, a lack of appropriate supplies. I've seen places where the staff just didn't have appropriate supplies Um, and that these days can include PPE. Um, Do they have all the services there that they're supposed to have? Um, Is palliative care available? Is hospice available? Do you have a pressure wound um, specialist? the, the other kinds of, of things I think is, are, are the staff adequately and appropriately trained right. to be doing the jobs they're supposed to be doing? And that's everything from how do you turn somebody properly and in a way that doesn't hurt them to how do you talk to somebody who has dementia who might be resistant to care? So mm-hmm. all the staff education kinds of things. Um, um, and we've talked about medication issues. Um, the, the other thing I would say is when we don't have adequate equipment in places. Mm-hmm. So, or you see, it drives me nuts if I go in and I see wheelchairs that are broken. Right. That actually are dangerous. Right. Um, you know, or don't have feet on them. Like some of, some people really require having feet on them. Um, and um, not providing adequate opportunities for socialization. Those are some of the things that come to mind. Yeah. And, you know, I think when, you know, when we're talking to family members, um, when we're talking to ombudsmen, who are many of the people that are listening to the program today, you know, they look at things both individually for the individual person and how to help that person specifically, but also 
particularly for ombudsmen, they're also looking systemically, you know, looking at, you know, how do you address some of these issues for the broader population? And, you know, when you go in as an ombudsman or, or the, for the families that go in, they're looking for how they can make a difference for that individual. And that is through the asking questions and the care planning and making sure that they have the information by they, I mean, the staff have the information they need about the resident, you know, what their likes and preferences are, what their condition is, you know, all of that. Um, but then we look at how can we make a difference to make sure bad things don't happen to everyone living in the facility and how can we work that way and improve care for everyone. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting dynamic for a volunteer long-term care ombudsman and for for our supervisors. Um, yeah, um, uh, who we're who we're looking after because, I mean, you have the the role for the individual person who might have their own um, issues going on that you want to advocate for. But then, what does that say about the institution? Uh, and it might be that one particular institution, or if it belongs to a larger chain what might be happening across institutions as well. I mean, and this is when things can escalate, not only the ombudsman, but to licensing as well. That's right. Absolutely. As we think about, you know, what people can do when they have concerns, we've talked about, you know, certainly some specific internal things, you know, talking to the staff, um, working through the care planning process, raising it to the leadership um, in nursing, which you you know mentioned each of those things, connecting with your resident or family council, I think are really important. Um, if you are a family member, call your ombudsman um, for help if you need assistance, um, because they are there to work with you to kind of in, to investigate, engage what's happening, and to try to work with you on identifying solutions. And people that are listening can find their ombudsman program on the Consumer Voices website at www.theconsumervoice.org. We have a get help button where you can find the contact information for your local long-term care ombudsman program. Um, and then, um, as you mentioned, the licensing agency, that's another place where someone can file a complaint if they have concerns also and are not getting um, some additional supports um, for for their loved ones. Um, so, you know, I think as we look to address all of these issues, um, certainly educating ourselves and then asking a lot of questions, you know, I think is really important, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we also have to advocate not only for the residents and facilities, but for the direct care workers, you know, people, you know, they need to have better pay and better working conditions, better training. Um, And I think there's some things going on at federal and state levels to help with that. Because, you know, this, this is back to, you know, the phrase that we've been hearing a lot of, we're all in it together. And Boy, no place is that more true than in uh, in than in long term care. We right. all want to help each other. Absolutely, and you know, I think um, to your point is that um, having the staff that are there and that are well supported themselves, and having that means having enough of them, having them well trained, ensuring that they have all of the resources and supplies they need. That then helps them do their jobs better. I don't think anyone really goes into a facility saying they want to neglect or abuse or hurt someone that day they they want to do the best job they can and staff really do a lot of heroic work absolutely absolutely right yeah 
So as part of the work that we at the Consumer Voice have been doing with Laura's team at the National Center on Elder Abuse, we are releasing um, today when the podcast goes out a new fact sheet for consumers and advocates on um, nursing home neglect that will cover a number of the issues that we talked about today, including signs of neglect, looking at red flags, um, where you can go to get help and working through some of the different options um, that we talked about, including uh, working with your staff, working through the care planning process, contacting your ombudsman, um, but that there are a number of different resources that you can work through in order to help address these um, issues. Other things that we haven't mentioned today, Dr. Mosqueda, about this issue and neglect that you think folks need to know about? I think we've covered a lot. Um, the, the other thing I would say is just we can't give up. Um, and sometimes it just mm -hmm. feels kind of overwhelming and holy moly, really? <laughs> we're back to yeah. lockdowns. Um, and um, I think we have to remember that we're, we're the only, you know, these are oftentimes people who were unable to speak up for themselves. Certainly a lot of people who live in long-term care can, but a lot can't. And, um, and so um, I'm just really grateful to the people listening to this podcast for the work I know they do advocating as family members or as ombudsmen or volunteers. Um, it's, it's really important, meaningful, meaningful work um, that can help improve the quality of life for so many folks. So it's, we all got to stick together and keep <laughs> at it and you know, and not get so frustrated um, with the systems that don't work. And I've made, I've already made a report. I know, make another. Right. <laughs> Keep at it. That's right. And advocacy can certainly be a long-term thing. It's, and so we just have to continue to keep at it, as you've been saying. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You've shared a lot of great information with our audience. I think um, some terrific tips that they can use when they're advocating for their loved ones or for the residents that they're serving um, in various capacities. And um, again, appreciate all the work that you and your team do, both at Keck School of Medicine and at the National Center on Elder Abuse. So thanks so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Lori. I hope people go to the Consumer Voice website. I certainly go to it regularly myself. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can share your story with us, subscribe to the podcast, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.